What if you could simply trust all information on the internet? My name is Sebastian and I'm on the mission to build a trusted web for all of us on planet Earth. An internet where my parents, possibly my future kids and my own generation can find truth and feel safe. Because to save the world, we need to fix the internet. And in the Trusted Web podcast, I embark on a journey with you, my listener and thought leaders, to explore what needs to get done. Joining me today is Abin Manu Goshal, the Next Web's managing editor based in Bangalore, India. He covers all about personal devices, Asia's tech ecosystem, as well as the intersection of technology and culture. The Next Web, or TNW, is a global digital brand that manages several initiatives focused on international technology news, business, and culture to inform, inspire, and connect people who love tech. The company was established in Amsterdam, from where we interviewed today, the Netherlands, in 2006 by co-founders Boris Veldhuis van Zandt and Patrick de Lef. And previously, Abhimanyu has worked at the Times of India, Lifehacker India, and Rolling Stone. Abhimanyu, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Absolutely a pleasure to join you here. Thanks. And to set the stage, how would you describe the state of media and journalism today? Right. So, um, you know, I've been thinking about this uh, for a good while. I think there's been a major shift uh, towards serving the audience and their needs and interests much more now than a decade ago, which is roughly uh, when I started to get into tech media. So, you know, of course, media is vastly diversified as compared to a decade ago in terms of distribution. Uh, and the way we consume news and information has evolved. It's now so much more on mobile devices. And then coming back to reporters uh, and editors, the way we investigate and source stories uh, is very different right now in terms of where journalists start to find stories and people to talk to. Uh, and then how we frame and present information in stories is different as well. Uh, but at the core, I would say the work of uh, a news outlet is the same as before. Observe, listen, uncover, and report the truth. But now I, I also think that um, audience uh, interest and headspace are really limited. Uh, in the sense that you know we consume social media posts, we consume news, audio, video entertainment, uh, all of that in in you know sometimes in the same app, right? In in the one same app uh, on our on our phones. So we as publishers are really competing against a lot of uh, other you know products for people's attention now, as compared to years ago when people were like, okay, I just want to you know learn about what's happening and what's new right now. And so I think the way that we value journalism is different now. Um, you also see a lot more niche-based content. So what I mean by that is uh, you have subscription-based uh, publications, you have newsletter-based publications, which are now multi-million dollar businesses. Uh, and you have journalists and essayists who are moving to platforms like Substack and pondering whether they're better off you know, taking an advance deal from those companies uh, or forging their own paths. So there's all of that going on. And at the same time, I think uh, in more recent years, uh, you've seen that there's been a major battle uh, for publishers against the label of fake news and also having to contend with the polarization of audiences in many countries. The media, uh, unfortunately, as, as we can see, can be both bought and also be turned into an enemy of the state. So everything from you know government performance to the safety of vaccines is in question these days because of how people perceive uh, whether the media uh, can be uh, trusted or not. So... And I understand in the U.S., I think trust in the media is lower now than it's ever been since the 70s. And that's certainly a problem. And there's really not an easy fix for something like that. 
it's going to take a while. There's so much to, uh, to unpack there, but the rise of misinformation and disinformation, did that change the, how you, over the last years at uh, TNW, changed uh, distribution and the creation of content? I think just to set the stage uh, for your listeners, I think it's important to uh, explain that at TNW, what we do is a lot of second day coverage. So uh, that means that we don't do a lot of on-ground reporting. Uh, we do rely on uh, more uh, established sources uh, you know, to figure out what sort of stories that we can curate for the audience that enjoys uh, you know, the way we tell stories, right? So we are much more, much closer to a magazine in our output than a daily news publisher in the way we work. Uh, but that said, you know, we still reach hundreds of thousands of readers uh, a day and we interact with them online where they may come up against misinformation on various platforms that they engage with. So uh, it's imperative that we first, first of all, recognize what, we, uh, what this looks like. We're always thinking about, you know, are there, you know, bogus stories doing the, uh, the rounds in our sphere of coverage? Or is there like a trend or a pattern of misinformation or the spread of misinformation that our readers should know about and should be aware of? Right. Uh, we often cover that sort of thing. And uh, sometimes, you know, depending on the location of our reporters or our specific expertise, we're able to actually, you know, lend a bit more um, of our voice to that sort of story. Right. And our hope is to essentially help our readers become more savvy about how misinformation can be targeted at them, what the consequences are, and essentially cultivate a culture of knowing how to tell true stories from false or at least learning to question the veracity of uh, news that you receive. That's that's really important to us. Is there an example you can give on uh, somewhere where you help the reader in debunking or more so, take this question where you want, but can you give an example of a case? Sure. Um, so I think uh, it was a couple of years ago, I uh, had the uh, good fortune of speaking to BBC Radio about a story uh, that I covered. You know, it was a tragic tale that unfolded across India. Essentially, there was misinformation spreading on WhatsApp, which is really popular in the country, uh, about uh, you know kidnappers supposedly doing the rounds in many states across the country, and you know the information, the video uh, were unverified. It was it was a doctored video uh, that led to lynchings in several states, and really for good, no good reason, right? Um, that's and that's from a few years ago, and it uh, I, I think at that time. You know, even the notion of questioning whether you know some information that you receive on what looks fairly official, right? It comes to you in your messaging app, and especially for people who are coming online for the first time, you know that news has come to you on your phone. It it's in bold caps text, so you know you might assume that some of that is for real. Uh, so, you know, us reporting from India, we had the opportunity to shed a light on exactly you know how gruesome that sort of thing was and how easy it was to spread that sort of misinformation. Um, and then in addition to just misinformation, there's also censorship to contend with. Uh, I think much more recently, maybe last week, uh, we ran a story based on reporting from Media Nama and the New York Times about how India's government uh, ordered you know, social um, platforms like Facebook and Twitter to remove posts uh, criticizing India's uh, poor handling of the pandemic. Right. So there's all of this. And I'm sure, like, you know, like I said, uh, everyone has limited attention span and limited headspace, so it's not possible to stay on top of every single thing. So it's really important for us, uh, I, I think, as a mission to try and you know contextualize stories like this coming from around the world. There are a lot of titles focusing on the US, some titles focusing on Europe. 
uh, TNW is really, you are working from India. Uh, it's founded in the Netherlands. It's really a global title. Is there something specific to a truly globally operational uh, yeah, news outlet as opposed to, for example, a US news outlet? Well, so the, the one advantage it definitely gives us is uh, diversity in perspectives. So, you know, we have our team spread across the US, the UK, uh, you know, a lot of our team is based in the Netherlands where we are headquartered, uh, as well as uh, here in India. And of course, we work with, uh, you know, freelancers from around the world, um, you know, on a wide range of stories. So, you know, being able to tap into all those resources to think of different ways to tell a story or different uh, areas to focus on, I think really gives us an edge and also makes the work a lot more interesting, makes it more challenging as well, because we have to be, you know, on point when it comes to telling stories from different places in the world. Right. So uh, and, and of course, uh, the other thing is when we are a global audience, we are not just you know, it's not only that we are based all over the world. We are also speaking to people all over the world. So it's really important for us to be able to you know, contextualize and tell stories from like if we're doing a story from India, you know, the you know, the gravity of the situation can only really be felt when you're here. So to try and transmit that in a story is also a challenge, but it's one that we relish and one that we are trying to get better and better at doing. Over your career over the last uh, more than a decade, you've done a lot in uh, reviewing of technology as well. Is there something to say on reviewing technology and uh, misinformation or disinformation there? For example, a guy I recently spoke to, he's in the reviewing business and he said a lot of reviews are published by people who didn't have the product um, but they write the review to rank high in a search engine. Is there something to say on that topic? Sure. So, you know, I, I would like to believe that that's becoming less of a problem now for, you know, for the reasons that I think your audiences are, you know, becoming far more educated and savvier about that. You know, they can probably tell when a review is coming from someone who's actually lived with the product and, you know, try to feel what it's like to own it uh, versus someone who's basically stuffing a bunch of SEO keywords into an article and trying to get that uh, high up in search rankings, right? So that's definitely happening, um, you know, and you also see that in forums and comments when you see people, you know, ask specific questions about, you know, a consumer product that is being reviewed. So with all that, that gives me, you know, some confidence, uh, you know, quite a bit of confidence in uh, the audiences that we reach, right? Uh, and then apart from that, I think also, uh, it's, it's, of course, you, you might want to try and scam your way through uh, doing a review when you haven't tried a product. But honestly, the, uh, there is such a vast difference between what you can say when you've actually tried something and lived with it. Uh, and I stress on that, you know, living with it is actually going through, uh, you know, the hassles of owning something for a week, you know, experiencing things like battery problems, uh, all of that, right? That only comes when you actually have had those products in your hands for a little while, when you've had the chance to compare it against other products that are in a similar price range or serve the same function. And for all that, you really need expertise. You need experience with that kind of product. You need to live with the product in question. Uh, and you also need to inform yourself about what else is available in the market. So um, I, I think anyone who's trying to, you know, just get by, uh, you know, with uh, essentially bogus reviews, is not really going to get very far. That's not the sort of stuff that gets you, you know, a reputation for understanding a product. That's not the sort of thing that people will come back to you for. 
And you know, that's, uh, you're, you're also going to be competing against some really talented people across the tech media industry who really know how to tell people why you should buy something or what to expect when you spend this money of yours, this hard-earned money of yours on a product, right? So it's a losing game if you're going to try and scam it, right? I, I think it, the best way to actually go about it, rather, if you're feeling the challenge of, hey, I don't have the access that a larger publication has, but I still want to get some sort of visibility, I think it's important to try and do other kinds of content, right? Like, uh, you know, there's so many ways of approaching a story about a product that that you could do even if you don't have the product and it doesn't matter, you know, like, and it's that's always going to be better than pretending to have it. Clear. And how, how do you, as a managing editor, make sure that those high standards uh, that you not only have those high standards for yourself, but for all the people you're working with? So I would say that at TNW, you know, we've fostered for years, we fostered a very collaborative uh, and generally flat uh, kind of uh, structure within uh, the editorial team. And by that, what I mean is that, for example, everyone, uh, all the reporters and editors uh, edit each other's work, right? So your, uh, even if it's your, your you know, first few months on the job uh, as a reporter, you are going to be exposed to what someone who's been working there for years, uh, what their writing is like, right? And similarly, we are always talking about what's, what's a great way to do a story. We're talking about what, what are the best people in the business uh, doing when they're approached with a similar topic or a similar kind of, uh, kind of piece that, that we are covering. Right. So we try to have our eye on the ball about that sort of thing. We also, you know, uh, I, I think we always entertain and encourage uh, everyone on the team to talk about, you know, what are you tired of seeing, right? Like, are you tired of seeing the same old like 3000 word review of a product? Because if you are, it's time to, for you to try something different. Right. Uh, and then the, some, someone else might be like, hey, I, I love a good detailed review, but I think I would like to do it in a more experiential way. Right. So we always talk a lot about this. And at the same time, we try to hold each other to high standards by. Uh, and like I said, because it's a very you know flat structure in when it comes to this sort of editing work. Um, you know, everyone is encouraged to, you know, to speak their mind when it comes to saying, hey, I would love to see a little more detail in this aspect, or, you know, you've talked so much about this, but that's not what the story is about. And we have completely fine to go back and forth a few times on a story if, if that's what makes it better for the reader, if that, you know, serves the purpose better. Claire, and as a last question, the future of publishing, it's quite a big one. How will trust in publishing, what will happen over the, let's say the coming five years and how will the relationship between uh, your organization, TNW, and for example, uh, the platforms, uh, Facebook and other big tech, how will that evolve over the coming years? Uh, what's your expectation? Oh, that's a good question. So I think, you know, we're trying to roll with the punches, you know, with everything that, um, you know, that the tech industry throws at us, right? Like uh, whether it's, you know, uh, social media platform changing up its algorithm, you know, we just got to run with whatever uh, that change uh, means for our publication and getting visibility for our stories, right? But at the same time, what we have found is that we've been operating on the whole idea of valuing reader loyalty as a metric for us at TNW, rather than trying to say, okay, let's just constantly grow and grow and grow our audience to a wider number or larger number. And that also actually uh, feeds into how TNW, the, the entire company, operates as a business entity. So uh, just to give you a bit of visibility on that, 
you know, while of course, you know, the editorial team, you know, runs the, you know, the site and that's where you read all the tech news and features and so on. The end goal is to, of course, you know, ensure that uh, all these readers become such fans of TNW that eventually when they're in a position to do so, they attend our online events, they attend our offline uh, events. Our major one is a flagship uh, event in Amsterdam that we do every year. Right. So that's the eventual dream. Right. And also similarly, we also have newsletters. So all of this is a funnel to eventually get you to, you know, to join us in uh, in bigger platforms that, that we ourselves can create and offer to our readers. So for us, loyalty is really the biggest thing uh, when it comes to thinking about, OK, how are we best serving our readers and how do we know we're doing a good job of that? So with all of that in mind, you know, we really can't say that, hey, we have to make sure we are on X platform. Uh, or, you know, we're going to die out or anything like that, right? Uh, and also, you know, we're a small shop. So, uh, honestly, you know, we're fairly limited in terms of bandwidth and what all we can, ex you know, extend ourselves to do. Like, for example, it may not be immediately easy for us, uh, you know, to start doing audio sessions on something like Clubhouse. Even if it's a good idea, uh, you know, that's something that we really have to think long and hard about before we can say, yeah, we know how to do a great job on this and that will serve our readers best. Right. So with all of that in mind, um, I, I think, you know, what we st uh, still strive to do is maintain high standards in the presentation of our stories, our sources of information. And when we do original content, the you know, we look at the depth of our research, the caliber of the experts and insiders that we approach for inputs on the pieces. And I, I think, you know, we've, of course, done that in bits and spurts over the course of TNW's existence. It's only, I would say, in the last uh, couple of years that we've really uh, had conversations with the entire team about these things and tried to establish better processes around it and raise the bar for the quality of our content, whether that's in you know textual stories or video or podcasts. Oh, and uh, I've been to the TNW conference once in Amsterdam, and both the production quality as the content, it's 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 such a yeah a top notch event. It's uh, wonderful, and. The loyalty of customers. How do you measure that? Because it it's becomes harder and harder to, to measure that. How do you do that? So what we look at is, you know, uh, first of all, we stopped um, for, you know, I think it's been a while now that we we no longer really look at page views so much. We started to look at entrances. Uh, so these are just your analytics metrics, right? Uh, we are looking at how many people are coming onto the site to start, and then we're looking at how much time are people spending on the site. Uh, we're also looking at how many times does someone come back to the website within a month, right? So all these things are telling us whether someone really cares to, you know, read stuff on TNW or they're just bumping into uh, into it, uh, you know, via search and, and other uh, other tools to to discover information. So you know, the idea is always that uh, you know once we can get someone ex excited about the story that we're doing. We also look at, hey, can we also show them related stories that we think they'll be interested in? And to that end, we have uh, just launched a new website design that uh, that will that already does a bit of the work in uh, guiding readers to that sort of new content. And you know, we'll continue to evolve that process. Uh, and similarly, you know, we also have launched a few new newsletters for the niches of uh, you know tech areas that we're focusing on, including uh, mobility tech as well as AI. Uh, and also, you know, stories and insights from startups for startups. So we have all these tools and the, the whole idea is to basically, you know, eventually create a community where people feel that, hey, you know, uh, I'm getting solid content here. I, there's a good reason to come back and, 
you know, every single time I'll find something interesting. Yeah, the, the new design has been launched halfway April. It's really, really worth checking out. Uh, congratulations on it. Thanks so much. Uh, before we uh, close off, any closing thoughts? Um, so I think uh, with, uh, you know, I've just been thinking about, you know, the whole idea of the future of publishing and what things will look like for us. Um, I think, and, and also to, you know, to try and answer the questions that you had about uh, quality essentially, right? Because that's that's what all of, uh, you know, my thinking around uh, working on this tech publication has been over the past couple of years. Um, and, and this is this is like, it's like for me, it's it's about ensuring high quality because if you're able to do that across your outlet, then you don't really need to worry as much about growing your audience, especially when we're you know having to compete with everything from a Netflix to uh, a Substack newsletter. Right? So if you're able to establish and consistently produce high quality content, that will allow you to focus on niches that your audience cares about. And you can see that you know, audiences, audiences are increasingly looking for and are getting better at seeking out uh, niche content. So uh, I, I can really see that that sort of thing is, is going to constantly uh, increase in, over time. And, and also, I think uh, the next few advances that I want to see, and I'd love to try that out at TNW as well, is to see how we can advance and diversify the way we present our content. Uh, I remember meeting uh, Robin Kwong uh, a couple of years ago when he was at FT. He currently oversees uh, newsroom innovation at the Wall Street Journal, and part of his job is to find new ways to tell stories. Right. So when they uh, when FT was doing a story about how much you know Uber drivers earned, uh, Robin Kwong actually learned to do a bit of coding and led an effort to turn that whole thing into into a game that you could play in your browser and figure out you know, what, it, what various decisions as an Uber driver would affect uh, your daily and weekly income. So I think there's going to be a lot more of that sort of thing uh, so that readers can really not just you know, engage with stories, but also uh, imbibe and memorize or you know, have that information much more at the ready than before. Wow. And uh, yeah, let's see. It, it will be an interesting decade. Also, I spoke to uh, Dwayne DeSaunier from the Associated Press. They're experimenting with making collectibles out of uh, news facts uh, through blockchain technology. So, so much is going on. Uh, Abhimanyu, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts. It was uh, really inspiring. And uh, keep up the amazing work you do at TNW. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Have a great day. It is well known that today the public trust into media organizations is low and therefore we've surveyed a global audience to better understand what publishers can do to increase trust with their audience. We've released these findings in our fresh report called Trust in Publishing 2021. You'll find the report, the show notes of this episode and many other valuable resources at thetrustedweb.org podcast. Once again, thetrustedweb.org slash podcast. Thank you for listening and therefore being part of the Trusted Web journey. And let's build the Trusted Web together.